Hi, this is Kevin Maloney from Grace Road Church. Thanks for listening to our sermon from Luke's Gospel. Luke writes to give a detailed account of the teaching, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He compiled this account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to impart faith and assuage doubt. So our hope for you as you listen is that you would sense that the picture of Jesus painted by Luke is compelling, that what you hear would give you confidence in Jesus, and that your doubts would be diminished as these truths resonate with your heart. For more messages from this series and others, you can head to our website, www.graceroadchurch.org, for audio, video, and text resources to help you walk more closely with Jesus. Well, good morning, Grace Road. This morning, we are continuing through the book of Luke. We have been working our way through each chapter, and this morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter number 12. I believe it was Mark Twain that said, some people are troubled by the things they don't understand in the Bible. What troubles me are the things that I do understand. This morning, as we look at our passage, we're going to be troubled. But we're not going to be troubled because we don't understand what the text says. We're going to understand the text just fine. The reason that we are bothered this morning is because our passage deals with both our attitudes and how we should deal with our money and our possessions. And so I anticipate this will be a hard message because the words of Jesus are going to challenge our main cultural idol. Look with me in Luke chapter number 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It was after reading this very passage that Tim Keller said, this is God's word, unfortunately. This passage stings because it calls out our greed and it warns us of the dangers of covetousness. And so there's a great deal to learn in this passage. And as we jump in, the first thing that we see this passage teaches us is the issue of greed. Look with me in verse number 15. It says, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Jesus said that we are to be on our guard against covetousness. And to do that, and to do that well, we need to know what covetous is. It's important to note that nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible condemn having money or possessions. Uh, We're in the book of Luke. Luke was a physician, which means he was likely paid very well for that. Uh, We know that Solomon 
had a great deal of possessions, lived in a palace, and had uh, tons of wealth. Another one of the disciples is Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector who was also probably very wealthy. Uh, So it's not so much that the issue of having wealth or possessions, but how our heart deals with those possessions and that wealth. Covetousness is defined as having an inordinate desire for another's possessions. It's a lack of contentment with what you have and an insatiable desire for more, more than your neighbor. We want what other people have. We want to have more, so it's not so much that we, we want to be rich. We want to be richer than the people we know. We want to be richer than those in our, our social circles. And that's what motivates our greed. Scott Saul says, our greed can usually be traced back to dissatisfaction about what we have in comparison to others. And so if we have this heart problem, it robs us of joy because there's always going to be people who have more than we do. Uh, So it's an endless pursuit. There's always going to be people who have things that we don't have. So if we have the attitude that if I just had what they have, it'll never be enough. So greed is a failure to be content with what God has blessed us with, and it's a desire to always have more. And so this morning, our passage deals with the issue of covetousness, but it also demonstrates our blindness to covetousness. Get this, in our text this morning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he'll eventually die on the cross for our sins to rescue us and reconcile us to God. And on that journey, as he's traveling, he's teaching a massive crowd. If you remember from last week, thousands upon thousands of people are gathered listening to Jesus teach on really heavy topics. He's talking about the reality of hell. He's talking about religious hypocrisy. He's talking about making sure that we're not ashamed to name the name of Christ and identify with him. And as he's talking about these heavy topics to this large crowd, somebody in the crowd thinks it's a good time to interject his random question. In verse number 13, we see someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so a little off topic. This guy says, hey, listen, Jesus, enough about the eternal life stuff. Help my brother with his greed. Tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance. So this man is obviously concerned about what was left to him after his dad passed away. He's likely uh, unhappy with the amount of money he received. And so as a result, he comes to Jesus. But notice that he's not asking for Jesus's input. He's telling Jesus what to do. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He is ultimately saying, Jesus, help my brother with his greed. Which is just a perfect picture that we see greed and covetousness in everyone else, but give ourselves a free pass. In this passage, he's the one being greedy. He's the one being covetous. 
but he's blind to it. And what we learn from this is that it's easy to see greed and covetousness in other people, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. In my role at the church, I have an opportunity weekly to to meet with people in a counseling context. And I love that our church has a transparent culture where people are open and honest about their struggles. And people will meet and, and share marital struggles. They'll share struggles with sin like pornography and gambling and drugs. And I love, again, that we have a a, a transparent culture where people feel free to come and share their struggles and get help with those things. But in all my time of being in ministry, I've never had somebody meet with me and say, hey, my struggle that I need help with is covetousness. Nobody ever meets to talk about that. It's just something that we don't pay attention to. But Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And so what Jesus is doing here is exposing the truth that we tend to be blind to our own greed and our own covetousness. We miss this. And I think it's important to know that how we personally feel we're doing in this area is probably not the best indicator because our hearts and our minds deceive ourselves because we want to see ourselves in the best possible light. So it's important this morning that we see this as our problem. That instead of thinking of somebody else and saying, yeah, I know that they're greedy. Yeah, I know somebody who has a problem with covetousness. We have to see that this is our problem too because if the gospel is ever going to impact this area of our hearts, we have to see this as our problem and not just somebody else's problem. And so Jesus talks about our blindness to greed, but then he exposes the lie of covetousness. Look with me in verse 15 again. And he said to them, and notice now it's them. He, he's no longer talking to this guy. He wants the crowd to hear what he's about to say about money and possessions. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus exposes the lie of our covetousness and, and, and our greed. And the way that he does that is he says, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And that's the reason why we're covetous, because we believe that our life does consist in what we own. We believe the more that we own, the happier we'll be. We believe the lie that if I just had blank or more of blank, then I would be happy, then my life would be full. But it's a lie, and we know it because we can all attest to the fact that all of our pursuing of more things and more money has only left us with empty hearts and empty wallets. Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions that we own. And so this morning, I just want to take a moment and stop right there and ask ourselves, do we believe that? 
Do we believe the words of Jesus that life isn't found in what we own? And, and, and I would say, let's hesitate and resist the temptation to quickly answer the, that question what, with what we want to believe about ourselves, what we want to be true, and ask ourselves honestly, do I believe that life consists in what I own, in my possessions, in getting more stuff and more money? I think if we're honest, we, we struggle with embracing that truth from Jesus. Even though he's the one who created us and he's the one that's created all things and he knows how all of this stuff works, when he says those words, if we're honest, we think he's wrong. And we probably believe Ariana Grande's theology about money and possessions more than we believe the words of Jesus. Ariana Grande in her song, Seven Rings, says, I'd rather spoil all my friends with my riches. Think retail therapy, my new addiction. Whoever said money can't solve your problems must have not had enough money to solve them. They say, which one? I say, nah, I want all them. Happiness is the same price as red bottoms. But this isn't just Ariana Grande's belief. All throughout scripture, we see people who thought if they just got this one thing or more of this thing, then they would be happy. And again, I think if we're honest, there's, there's an element in all of us that think if I could just get to the place where I could roll up into a store, look around, and when somebody says, hey, which one would you like, that we could answer and say, which one? No, I, I want all of them that that would be living, that that would be freedom. But Jesus says, that's not true. And so young people this morning, life isn't found in the, in the triple white Air Force Ones or more clothes or an iPhone 11. And adults, life isn't found in a, in a particular house, a boat, a certain car, or a, a 401k amount. I mean, if we think about, again, how much energy we have spent pursuing those things, and although they give us initial highs, they never satisfy. Life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions we own. But that's the temptation. More money, more stuff, more in the savings account. But Jesus says it doesn't work. And Solomon the richest man to ever live, also said it doesn't work. In Ecclesiastes chapter number five, Solomon says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So to bring this point home, Jesus goes on in our passage and tells a parable. Verse number 16, it says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 
Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So in this parable, we have somebody who's already rich. The passage tells us that. And in one particular season, his crop produces way more than he knows what to do with. To the point where he has to uh, figure out a place to put all of his crops. And so he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? I have way more than I'll ever need. I have way more than I can store. And then he says, I know what I can do. I can, I can tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones, taller ones. And then I'll have real wealth. Then I could relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Then I will have arrived. Six times in the parable, the man says, I. And five times, my. It's all about him. It's, I will do this. It's about him my grain, my goods, over and over again. There's, there's no thought of anyone else in this passage for him. So we see his absolute selfishness on full display and really a total lack of generosity. There's no, there's no thought of the poor in this passage. There's no thought of, of giving to God or being generous with other people. He was extremely selfish and God calls him a fool. And throughout the scriptures, God warns us not to have this attitude. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, let me say that it's not a sin to be rich or have nice things, but we should live in a way where we have margin to be generous with others. And so it's okay to have possessions, but make sure that possessions don't have you. It's okay to have stuff, but make sure that stuff doesn't have you. We as believers in Christ of all people should live in a way that embraces the words of Jesus where we live different. And, and so how do we get there? How do we get to a place where, where money and possessions lose their grip on us so that we can live in freedom and, and live with generous hearts? We see that covetousness and greed cannot simply be just easily removed from our heart. They have to be replaced with a new desire, a greater desire, and a greater passion. Money and possessions have to be dethroned in our lives and replaced by the gospel of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have to look to Jesus and be changed by the fact that he gave up all of his treasure. 
He gave up all of his riches so that we could be his treasure. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. To this, Keller says, when, when you see Jesus dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security, and you will want to bless others with what you have. When we recognize that he poured out his wealth for you and for me, that, that he gave it all so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free, when we, when we stand in awe of this, when we recognize that our God is good, that he cares for us, that, that he has us, we recognize that he is a God worth pursuing. He is a God worth giving our hearts to. And so when we believe this about our God, when we feel this way about our God, we're free. We're free to enjoy stuff, but we're also free to be generous with others. We won't feel compelled to live our best life now and, and, and tear down our barns to build bigger barns, but we'll constantly be thinking about how we can bless other people rather than constantly be thinking about what we don't have instead of enjoying what we do have. So we'll be free. And that is the Christian life that's worth living, one that's free to invest in others, one that's free to be generous toward others. And that's a life that will, will, will impact, uh, a life that will have an impact long after our earthly possessions are somewhere in a landfill. And so I'll end with this. Uh, this year, I was devastated uh, by the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. I have been a fan of his for as long as I can remember. And so uh, when he died in January, uh, for days, I was glued to the TV, watching interviews of former friends and, and family and teammates, all talking about uh, his impact on their lives. And something that stuck out to me over those days as I, I, I watched those interviews is that no one, not one person said, hey, you know what really impacted me about Kobe Bryant? His house. You know, you know what I loved about Kobe Bryant? His Ferrari. No. Everybody talked about his impact on their lives, his generosity, his acts of service toward them, what he did for them, the friendship, the relationship, the laughs. And so even though Kobe Bryant was worth, uh, at the time of his death, about $500 million, nobody talked about his possessions. They talked about the relationship. And so I would say this, all the more, if we are going to be a people that have been impacted by the gospel, a people who, who, who say our lives have been radically made new 
and different, that we've been transformed by what Jesus has done for us, if we believe what Jesus accomplished on the cross changes everything, then shouldn't everything include how we deal with our money and our possessions? Shouldn't his death on the cross impact how we view and relate to those things? Uh, If his gospel has changed us, then we should be a people who live free, free to be generous with other people, free to invest in other people instead of being all concerned about I, 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 my, 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 my goods, my wealth. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Do we believe that? Are we going to be a people who who continue to labor and pursue stuff so that we can acquire more and, and consume and spend? Or are we going to be a people who live radically different because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us? Belief in the gospel changes the way that we deal with money and possessions. And so we can be generous but we're generous not because we want to earn God's love. We're generous because we already have it by his grace. And I want to say this morning that if you're not a Christian, what I hope is that you don't hear in this sermon that Jesus' call on your life is is to give some amount of money. Uh, We don't get God's love by giving any amount of money. God doesn't want you to surrender your wallet to him. He's infinitely more concerned that you surrender your heart to him. The way that we do that is by recognizing that we're all sinners, you and I, and that our sin has has separated us from God and that nothing that we can do can, can bridge that gap or change that separation. But because of God's grace, though again, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he he emptied himself of those riches and came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and willingly went to the cross to pay for our sin. And the Bible says that, that if we'll trust in that and believe in that, that if we'll cease to trust and believe in our own good behavior, and trust solely in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, that that, that that gap can be bridged, that we can be reconciled to God, that we could be forgiven and free and spend eternity with him. He gave generously of himself so that you and I can enter into a relationship. And that that's available to all of us, no matter how, ma- how many times or how much we've sinned. His forgiveness is available to all. If we'll call upon him, we can be forgiven and we can be saved. Would you do this with me this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for your grace. We know that we didn't deserve what you have done for us. We didn't earn it completely because of your unconditional love and mercy. 
you have blessed us with the cross and saved us and and reconciled us to you. You paid a debt we could never have afforded to pay. Then in addition to that, God, you have blessed us with countless blessings. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have nothing that we have not received from you. And so, God, we acknowledge now and repent that we are absolutely prone to believe the lie that happiness in life consists in what we own. So, God, we ask for your forgiveness of that. And, God, we're asking for your help that you would change our hearts, that you would replace our idols and help us, God, to make you the treasure of our hearts, that you would overflow in our hearts in a way that causes us to want to not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but that we would want to be rich toward you, rich toward others. And so God, help us to be uh, so in awe of you that uh, our joy would be to live this life radically different and generous toward others. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.